Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. heap heavy burdens on men's shoulders because you expect people to obey the law that you yourselves are not able to keep and so they were living under the burden and the weight of the law so that's the reason why the law kills because it only exposed your guilt but it had no remedy to save you the law itself was incapable of saving a person okay now that's the way god designed it the law was to be like a mirror it would expose what you really look like. Today, Pastor Gary talks about the freedom that we receive through Christ and His New Testament. God had designed the Old Testament not to save people, but to confirm the fact that we need a Savior. Try as we might, we will never have been able to uphold the law. It's only through Jesus' love and the fact that He died in our stead that we have the opportunity to strive to be like Him. The freedom that we experience through Christ is a freely given gift and is meant for all His children. Have you experienced Christ's love and freedom? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Second Corinthians 3 is where we left off. We have been talking about how 1 Corinthians was a corrective epistle. Paul is challenging the Corinthian church about some things that they were doing wrong, even some gross sin and otherwise some negligence within the church. Now he writes 2 Corinthians. It's later in the year, 57 AD, thereabouts. And this letter is not corrective, but this letter is in defense of his ministry. Again, as we've been saying, the, the people who didn't like what he said in his first letter because it was corrective, it was confrontational, he addressed some issues. The way that you try to be able to discredit the message is to discredit the messenger. And so people have been taking issue with Paul and really questioning his legitimacy as an apostle. And we're going to see his defense here in chapter 3 because he's basically going to say, hey, just look at the fruit of the church and notice where I've been. That is a statement of my credentials. Here in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves, he says, are our letter written on our hearts, 
known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right, let's pause at that point here. But what he's saying again is, listen, do I really need credentials with you people? Aren't you the living testimonies of the fruitfulness of my ministry? He says, I'm not trying to commend myself. I'm not trying to say anything proud here. I'm just saying, you know, kind of look around. And if you want to know if I'm a legitimate apostle, if my ministry is sincere, if my ministry is credible, why don't you just look at the fruit of the ministry and look at all the changed lives in the church. And he mentions here, and I think this is an important point for all of us, he says, you yourselves, verse 2, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. It is a good reminder to us that as a Christian, you are known and read by everybody. You are living epistles. You and I are like letters that testify to God's grace in our lives. You will have a testimony. There's no neutrality on a testimony. It will be either a testimony that gives glory to God, or it will be a testimony that brings shame to his name. But you will be known and read by everybody. Somebody once said that you might be the Bible that nobody reads. They will look at your life, and they will get a glimpse into who the Lord is. So be mindful of this fact, that you and I are like living letters known and read by everybody. He says, verse 3 again, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. And he says in verse 4 and 5, he goes on talking about how this is our confidence. You know, this is why we're able to say that we have a ministry that is legitimate. Again, we're not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence, King James says there in verse 5, our sufficiency comes from God. Paul is painfully aware that any effectiveness of his ministry is not due to his eloquence or due to his cleverness, but he's just a vessel that God uses. And he's going to talk more in the next chapter about being a vessel that God uses. And that's all that we are, that anybody is, that the Lord would use. We're just vessels. God is the one who does his work. And again, verse 6, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. And then he distinguishes the new covenant from the old when he adds, not of the letter, which is the old covenant, but of the spirit, the new covenant. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. All right, let's unpack this a little bit. The word covenant appears 292 times in the Bible. 292 times in the Bible, 272 of those times in the Old Testament. It is an important word. When God makes a covenant with man, he makes a binding oath. There are three things important about a covenant that God makes. Number one, he initiates it. Number two, he implements it. And number three, he guarantees it. When God makes a covenant, it is different from a contract. A contract is when two parties come together and agree to the terms and then sign on the dotted line. A covenant is unilateral. It is God who initiates it, God who implements it, and God who guarantees it. The only part that man plays in a covenant with God is to either accept it or reject it. We cannot change it. We cannot improve upon it. We have no right to rearrange the terms. God sets the terms. He initiates it. He implements it. And he guarantees it. 
Now, we see different kinds of covenants throughout the Bible. Most covenants are blood covenants, not all, but many of them are blood covenants because blood was a sign of sealing the covenant. A blood covenant was a sign that this was sealed. It was like the signature to the covenant. This was God saying, I swear on oath to you. I make a promise to you. You didn't do anything to initiate it. I did it. I implement it, and I guarantee it. We see a covenant he made with Abraham. We see a covenant that he made in terms of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant involved blood. The rite of circumcision was a mark in the flesh at the place of reproduction to be reminded that you are a people belonging to God. That was the initial purpose behind circumcision. But it was a cutting of the flesh and it involved blood. It was a covenant agreement that God said, you are my people. If you come into agreement with me, you are my people. Marriage is a covenant, by the way. Marriage is a covenant that God implemented, that God ordained, that God designed, that God initiated. And by the way, not to get too graphic, but you can read in the Old Covenant in Deuteronomy that the tokens of virginity were the expression of the covenant. Because the proof that a woman was a virgin when she got married was because on their first sexual encounter, there was the breaking of her flesh and thus blood. And if there was any doubt that she was a virgin, they would bring the bedsheets to the elders of the city as a testimony that she was, in fact, a virgin when they got married. It was a blood covenant. And, of course, Christ, who dies on a cross for us, who purchases us from sin and death, sheds his blood. It is a covenant that God made with us. He initiated it, he implemented it, and he guarantees it. And he says, and if you put your faith and trust in my son Christ, who died on a cross for you, the blood that was shed on your behalf is sufficient to make atonement for your sin. So all through the Bible, there's different kinds of covenants. God made a covenant with Noah in regards to never cursing or or judging the world again in a worldwide flood. And the rainbow was a sign of the covenant. Many different covenants. That isn't going to be the study for tonight. But I want you to notice that Paul says here, we are messengers or ministers of a new covenant. Now, I don't mean to insult your intelligence. I don't know where everybody is spiritually on the chart of being young or being mature in the faith. But just so that everybody understands, your Bible is divided into two covenants. We call them testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. The word testament is the same as covenant. Your Bible is separated into Old Covenant, New Covenant. Genesis to Malachi is Old Covenant or Old Testament. Matthew to Revelation is New Covenant, New Testament. What are the differences between those two covenants? The Old Covenant had to do with approaching God through the sacrifice of a lamb. Again, it was a blood covenant. You sacrifice an animal... And God says, under the old covenant terms, I will accept that as an atoning sacrifice to appease my wrath. Justice will be met by the sacrifice of that lamb on behalf of the one offering it. New Testament is the sacrifice of Christ, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Right? When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized by water, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. His blood is shed. God says, Now, this is the ultimate fulfillment of the old covenant, and the new terms of the new covenant are this. It is by faith are you saved. It is by grace, rather, are you saved through faith, and this the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Even believing faith is a gift from God, not of works. You can't do anything to earn this. So that nobody can boast. All right, that's the gift of salvation. But your Bibles are separated with those stories. Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, to a Jew who does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
they don't accept the New Testament. So a Jewish Bible is exclusively what we call our Old Testament. They would call it the Tanakh. The compilation of the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, plus the prophets, and plus the poetic chapter, books of the Bible, and all together the Old Testament the Jews call the Tanakh. But we see it separately as Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, because these are two different ways that God implemented atonement, and the New Covenant supersedes and fulfills the Old Covenant. Everybody understand this? So Paul comes along here and he says, we are ministers of this new covenant. And he says, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, he's going to, I'm going to unpack that also with you, but I want to read the next section because he's going to contrast now old covenant and new covenant in the next section. So we'll come back and we'll talk about verse 6, but let me also read now with you into verse 7 down through the end of the chapter. Verse 7. He says, now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters of stone, he's talking about the Ten Commandments here, the initial giving of the law, engraved in letters of stone, came with glory. That's an important word in this text, too, so circle that word. It's used 16 times in the next few verses and into chapter 4. 16 times, some form of the word glory or glorious. He says, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. He's talking about the Jews. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Well, that clears it all up, doesn't it? There's a lot in there. Glory, freedom, veiled faces, unveiled faces. What in the world is Moshe talking about here? All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. He's contrasting Old Covenant versus New Covenant. He's going to talk here about the law, which is Old Covenant. And he's going to talk about grace or the ministry of the Spirit in terms of the New Covenant. And one of the things that he starts off by saying, it it was back in verse 6 about how he's made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. He says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. One of the things that he contrasts right off the bat here is that the letter, in other words, the law engraved on tablets of stone, kills. But the new covenant gives life. Now, how is it that the law kills? Well, it kills in this sense. The only real purpose, let me rephrase that. There were a few purposes, but the main purpose of the old covenant or the letter or the law was to expose your guilt. That was it. It was to expose your guilt. Now, ultimately, it was supposed to expose your guilt so that you would realize, well, I need a savior. 
I'm no good. Unfortunately, what happened in Jesus' day, he rebukes Pharisees and Sadducees because why? Because they were using the law as a means to justify themselves. And instead of it working as it should have to lead them to Christ, it emboldened them to just try harder to obey the law. We don't really look for a savior. You know, so in Jesus' day, Pharisees, by and large, the Sadducees, they rejected Jesus. They didn't accept them as Messiah. What were they doing instead? We're just going to try harder. We're going to try harder to obey the law and to be really, really, really good people. And so they had so many laws and they added to the laws because if you realize you're, you're not really good, you want to try to improve on yourself, you're just going to add more laws, more rules. That's how they started to live. And they took even the law of God and they expounded it to the place where it was just impossible to live up to. That's why Jesus, one of the times when he rebukes them in Matthew 23, he says, you do heap heavy burdens on men's shoulders because you expect people to obey the law that you yourselves are not able to keep. And so they were living under the burden and the weight of the law. So that's the reason why the law kills, because it only exposed your guilt, but it had no remedy to save you. The law itself was incapable of saving a person. Okay, now that's the way God designed it. The law was to be like a mirror. It would expose what you really look like. But it can't help you it just exposes the problem and thus paul says the letter of the law it just kills man all it's going to do it's going to condemn it's just going to kill you it doesn't have any life-saving principle or power on the other hand the new covenant gives life because when we come to christ we have our sins forgiven he did for us something we couldn't do and thus the life that comes through him is abundant life now and eternal life then What did Jesus say in John 10? He said, I've come that you might have life and to have it more abundantly so that life can be more enjoyable. I mean, you know, look, I don't know how happy you were before you knew Christ, but I guarantee you, you're happier after you know him because there's a joy of the Lord that is your strength because now you know about sins being forgiven. You know the hope of heaven when you die. You have a whole new hope. You have a whole new clean and clear conscience. You didn't have before Christ. All of this is what is life-giving. So he contrasts Old Covenant and New Covenant. He says, the letter of the law kills, spirit gives life. Then he also says, further down there in verse 9, we read it, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So Old Covenant condemns. Just a bunch of laws. It's a bunch of rules that exposes your guilt. It feels pretty condemning when you read this. He says, but the New Covenant brings righteousness. We can get right standing with God because of what Christ has done for us. He also says, difference between old and new, the old one has fading glory, the new one has lasting glory. He says in verse 11, and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Now again, the word glory used 16 times here between chapters 3 and 4. It is a word that basically means magnificence, brilliance, honor and splendor and so he does say he says you know look the old covenant came with glory and he's going to talk about how this radiance of god's glory paul's going to talk about how it was upon moses moses is reflecting the glory of god and so paul's going to talk about history the jewish history says you know the old covenant came with glory because moses face was lit up like he had been living in a nuclear power plant And we're going to read it in just a minute in Exodus 34. And he says, so the old covenant came with glory. He says, but if you think that was spectacular, if you think that was magnificent, 
You don't understand that new covenant is even more glorious because the old covenant had fading glory, but the new covenant has lasting glory. The magnificence of God and his majesty and his brilliance reflected through his son, Jesus. And then he adds also that Moses had a veiled face and he says, we have unveiled faces. All right, so look, look at verse 13. He says, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. And then jump down to verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with that increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, so to help us understand this, I'm going to go back to Exodus 34 in your Old Testaments. Exodus chapter 34. And in Exodus chapter 34, this is when Moses comes down off Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. Now, what we learn, this is the second set, Ten Commandments, because Moses got upset and broke the first set. Remember when he was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord and then down at the base of Sinai, the Israelites were engaging in revelry and immorality and all kinds of stuff. And Moses had left his brother Aaron in charge when he went up on a mountain. And Aaron was also, you know, serving as like the high priest. And so while Moses is away, the Jews will play. And the Jewish people were playing and got themselves in deep trouble because they ended up taking some gold from each other. You got any extra bling? Let's throw our bling together. They threw it in a big cauldron. They melted it down. And then they fashioned this calf, this golden calf. They're making an idol while Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the commandments from God. Now, by the way, where'd they get the idea of a calf? Why not like a chicken? You know, because it's a carryover of the Egyptian worship. The Egyptians worshiped, among other gods, a bull god. All right? So that's what they're thinking. They're like, well, we came out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, We don't really know where Moses is and how long he's going to be up there. And so we need to start worshiping something. By the way, it is reflective of the fact that we all have this innate need to worship. And we will all worship something if we don't worship the true and living God. We'll worship something. You might worship your career. You might worship your money. You might worship another person. I'm not saying any of those things are right. I'm just saying we have an innate need to worship. And when we don't worship the true and living God, it often expresses itself in other unrighteous ways. The people throw together their gold. They fashion this golden calf. Moses comes down off Mount Sinai, and he sees the people in revelry and worshiping this golden calf. And he has a fit, and he throws the Ten Commandments, and they break. So by the time we get here to Exodus 34, he's having to go back up Mount Sinai and get get another set. All right? So that's the first part of chapter 34. Now, Exodus, the end of chapter 34, verse 29. So now he's coming down off the mountain, but he's been up with God. So verse 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak 
with the Lord. Living in unity with one another is never an easy task. Every member of the church is unique and filled with personality. And with that comes opinions. As you've learned from the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians, though, unity within the body of Christ is a must. You don't have to agree on every tiny detail, but on the basic tenets of faith, members need to agree. Living in harmony does require humility and open communication and a willingness to follow the leadership God has placed over His church. We hope today's teaching on Cornerstone Connection has been encouraging to you. If you're in the area, we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia for a time of worship and Bible study. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our website also houses our archive of Pastor Gary's teachings through the Bible, as well as additional resources to help you in your own study of the Word. You can even download our mobile app to take Cornerstone Connection with you on the go. You'll find all this again at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor Gary has more to share from the book of 2 Corinthians, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.